Welcome English dissident nationalist Kate Fanning. Thanks for being here. Thank you. So I know you're in the UK and I think uh, the, the gay wars have kicked off, right? Gay pride. So what's it look like over there in the uh, UK? <laughs> lots of degeneracy in the streets, lots of partying with half naked people, or I should just say full naked people, really. That hasn't started yet. Where I live, there is a gay village and they have a gay pride parade. And it, well, the LGBT agenda is in general becoming more degenerate as time's gone on and want to really push the boundaries. So rather than just, you know, waving their rainbow flags, it's now a matter of, you know, wearing chaps and having their ass out and had taking kids along and stuff. But to be honest, I've not seen that much of it because I've boycotted most mainstream media and entertainment due to it being Jew controlled and mostly Marxist propaganda. But uh, I do see little bits and I've noticed that once again, all the uh, large corporations have started with their virtue signaling and all their logos are now rainbow colored. But uh, <laughs> yeah, what luckily, the hell? Gay um, villages? There's gay villages? Like, uh, wait, wait. Yeah, the whole, whole gay village. So it's a, it's an area of the city which was supposed to be like a safe space for them, but they filled it full of bars and clubs, and these are supposed to be like gay clubs. And they when they have gay pride parades, that's where it all ends up. And then there's a party that goes on for like a week. Lots of uh, drugs. Yeah, yeah you know uh, it. There's, there's a lot of drugs. There's a lot of craziness. I've been to one. Uh, I've been to one with a friend. And uh, we went to this bar and downstairs, we walked into what was a very strange environment where I was like, we need to, we need to leave. Uh, this is just too fucking weird. It's not, <laughs> it's not about, sorry about the profanity. It wasn't just about, you know, oh, two men love each other. There was people dressed up as dogs eating dog food off the floor. Oh my like, gosh. New gets, lows. It the sun starts to get down. Oh a, man, dirty dog has a whole new meaning. Well, you made the leap from a uh, working woman, I should say, to a super cool, all-in, pro-English people activist woman. So how did you find yourself here and now talking about the most important issues of our time? Well, I've had a rather eventful and non-typical life, and I think some of those events have certainly contributed to my um, decisions and what I do today. Uh, you know, I won't talk about it in this particular interview, but there have been some profound instances where I have realized at an early age that we'll be being sacrificed on the altars of diversity and multiculturalism. I mean, when I was younger and I grew up in my inner city area, it was a, you know, it was a working class area. It wasn't, um, people weren't well off, but they kept it clean. They kept it nice. It was reasonably safe. When I went to school, there was only two black kids in the school. They had to do a whole assembly to explain to us what Ramadan was and why they wouldn't be eating. Um, I moved away for a little while and I became a victim myself to some of this multiculturalism and diversity. And when I returned to where I'd lived as a child, it completely changed in the space of a decade. There was no more people like me. It was majority foreigners. The butchers had become a halal butchers. The churches had been turned into mosques. The schools had no white children in them, or very few. And it was no longer my home. And people didn't seem to have a problem with this. And then I was working in, in business. And uh, <laughs> I was at a friend's party. And I got drunk. And I fell out of a window and broke my leg. Ah. And at that point, I was, uh, I was already quite interested in politics. I actually started... Um, Thinking about the world and the people in it, the businessmen and the politicians that seem to be our ruling elite. And I started watching Alex Jones. And that's where I became aware of uh, Joseph Paul Watson and Nigel Farage. And I started looking into UKIP. And that's when I started becoming more politically aware. I was always more aware of the invasion and very much against that because, well, I'd seen what these people were capable of and knew that they weren't. They, they certainly weren't coming here to just settle and be friendly. Um, but I became more politically aware sort of in my early 20s. And once I broke my leg, I had the time to sort of sit there because it took like six to eight months before I was allowed to walk again. And I joined the UK Independence Party and I did a lot of research. And mostly at that point in time, I just wanted to get our sovereignty back from the Marxist institution that is the European Union. So that was my primary concern, although I think a lot of people in that party thought I was a bit right wing. Um, <laughs> Gods forbid. Yes. Um, and then I eventually became a director uh, uh, in UKIP. And that was like a year and a half after becoming a member. It didn't take me very long. 
Um, and within that a few months, I had hope not hate writing articles about me being an anti-Semite. And I, I posted a video about diversity was actually white genocide. And they were like, oh, she's a far right extremist. And I was told to apologize and I refused to um, by UKIP. They told me to apologize and I refused to do so. And I, I really wanted to push that party because at that time it was it was the biggest anti-establishment party in the UK. But I remember. Nationalist. Yeah. But I thought, you know, there was a lot of members that had very similar opinions. And I thought it could be steered in, you know, in a more, uh, how can we put it, racially aware <laughs> uh, trajectory. But unfortunately, there was an awful lot of complications once Nigel Farage left and that plan kind of fell apart. I was asked to go into the Tories and I just wanted to ensure that Brexit got done. So I did that. But uh, obviously, my far right views uh, were not acceptable. So once they had got their use out of me with the campaign, they uh, wanted me to leave, especially after I called Jacob Rees-Mogg a cunt at a Tory dinner, after he said that Shamima Begum should not have her citizenship stripped from her. And neither should any of these ISIS terrorists, because it sets a dangerous precedent. <laughs> Yeah. Meanwhile, the UK is literally banning uh, other European people from entering just because of their political views. It's outrageous. Like we know pe what, Americans, we know Swedes, like there's people that literally cannot go into the UK. It's crazy. Now, tell us about the White Indigenous Rights Alliance. I believe this is uh, your baby, right? Yes. Yeah, so um, it's a community interest company that I'm in the process of launching. It's going to tackle some of the biggest issues and injustices facing uh, that the white indigenous community are facing at this time. It has four different divisions, which each have different departments within it. The first division is called Our, Our Rights. Now, Our Rights has two main departments, and we'll later on have an advocacy hub, but I'll need to send members off to become advocate volunteers, and that will involve some GDPR training and advocacy training. But mostly, primarily, the Our Rights department will have a policy research and advice think tank that will be dedicated to researching the impact that policy and legislation has on the white indigenous peoples of Great Britain because we are never represented or considered. It's always about the foreigners that come in. They don't care about the impact that it has on us. They don't even recognize us as our own unique racial, ethnic, national and religious groups that they're actually subjecting to genocide at this time. That's why they don't want us to have those protected characteristics or be recognized as having them. And that's one of our primary goals with that is enforcing that recognition and enforcing representation for us because we're not going to get it through this so-called democracy. Then there's the Alliance Watch. The Alliance Watch is going to work as an investigatory body where anywhere where bias and um, let's say corruption has been reported, be it in any of our state institutions, with a state official, with our judiciary and courts, so we're going to use open source intelligence tools and freedom of uh, freedom of information legislation, along with case law and news alerts and edits and whistleblowers testimonies to investigate any sort of corruption and bias. And then if we if we can prove this, we might even bring litigation or judicial reviews and these sorts of actions. So that's the primary focus of the R Rights Division is basically to support the rights of the white indigenous community and give them a voice. Then there is the Our Futures department. Now, Our Futures is mostly focused on children and families. There's going to be a family focus group which works as a parental support body and will offer like support training and also support groups. There is some mentorship training that will need to be done. So that particular department will probably come a year after launch because, again, I'll have to send people off for training. But the NEST project in, in the Our Futures division, that is primarily focused on children and about building white confidence and a positive racial identity through alternative curriculums and activities. And then we have the Our Habitats division, which basically looks after and creates connections and protection for our white indigenous um, lands, our homelands and the indigenous populations within it. That would be like the wildlife. And we've got our communities and our communities is focused on the membership and has a stronger, stronger communities division. And then there is the our heritage department, which has a um, it, I should have written this down. It has the um, historical society, the culture hub and the conservation club. And then there is the commercial activities. It's a social enterprise. So all of our proceeds and everything that we generate goes back into the white indigenous communities. And we can actually get away with this underneath the Equality Act, as there are 
already thousands of these community and trust companies set up for mm. black and ethnic minorities of and course. there's not not one for the indigenous population so instead of waiting <laughs> for politicians to start doing something about the problems that we face i figure i'm not going to wait for permission or ask them to do it anymore we're going to do it ourselves and then you always get to you know these leftists that come out and say well you don't need these organizations because you're already a majority and we'll get into to that lie later of what's happening there but also there's the claim that well you're not really indigenous right you're you're white people aren't english people right i mean we have cheddar man now <laughs> cheddar man the english people original English people were actually people with black skin and blue eyes. (laughs) Now, we know that this has been totally exposed as a fraud, Cheddar Man. I mean, we got into this in one of our Weekend Warrior episodes in detail. But that's what people find when they go on Google, right? That's the official source. Like, oh, the the first English people were actually, actually had dark skin. So so how do you Uh. tackle some of (laughs) those? How do you tackle some of those? bogus arguments when they come at you that white people aren't indigenous and also you don't need an organization like this because you still are the majority um so when it comes to an indigenous population i mean do they think we just appeared in thin air or came down from outer space yes some of them do (laughs) white indigenous populations of great britain can be clearly defined throughout our historical records and with modern genetic testing it's the same with cheddar man If we were to test his DNA, we would see that he comes from a European haplogroup and does not have that 20% of archaic composition that comes from black people because Sub-Saharan Africans are actually a different species to us. They have a different genetic composition. Some of that comes from a super archaic species of hominid and that genetic composition is not present in modern day Europeans or Asians. So we could quite easily prove with genetic testing on these old bones and fossils that these people were indeed not black oh yeah it's of course reasons why they don't like us doing genetic testing because yeah. we could prove that yeah exactly and and a lot of um you know professionals have actually come out and said no chances are his skin was actually olive they're putting the olive category just in the dark skin just assuming that it's oh they all had black skin which is which is false like the models that they use for cheddar men they used uh, supposedly uh, all chinese have uh, black skin too <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, it, it's false and it's and it's garbage. I need something it's, to say about that. They're not exactly uh, how can you put it uh, as woke as the Western world when it comes to uh, different racial disparities. Oh yeah, oh yeah, they're they're pretty harsh over there. Now let's I talk. Lefties complain, saying, "What would you need a, an organization for white mm-hmm. people for?" And you could quite easily put them in their place with that. I mean, the white indigenous population make up the majority of the homeless in this country. It's mostly white men that are committing suicide in this country. White working class children are the biggest demographic now not going on into universities Mm -hmm. and denied places. The white indigenous population are subject to more racially motivated crime than any other group. We're facing challenges that no other group is being subjected to due to the fact that we are white and indigenous and if people want to claim that i'm a racist because i want to help people in my own community that are suffering and aren't getting help elsewhere because they're classed as white and privileged you know if these men that are homeless go to the council and say i need housing they're not going to get it they're paying millions out a day so we can house hostile fighting age men that have come over in dinghies And yet we've got our own men dying destitute on the streets when they fall in on hard times. We've seen white children now have the highest rates of mental illness, which is no surprise, seeing as if they are being mentally abused within our schools by our Marxist teachers who want them to feel guilty and ashamed for existing. So there are major problems that the white indigenous community are facing, and that's statistically evident. And if people think that we should not deal with those challenges as a community because that's racist then they're the ones who are actually being racist because they're saying that i shouldn't help these people in need because they're white absolutely and it's also like you said before the the destruction of our our cult your culture and your heritage and now you have these decolonization efforts right that are happening even in museums it's trying to deconstruct all of english history it's all based on you know evil colonialism england is, has only become successful because of oppressing non-whites and because of slavery and so therefore we have to destroy all of your civilization you guys are getting it hard like Amer- america 
Africans get it too. <laughs> so what do you think about all these decolonization efforts and also how do you tackle some of these claims that uh, England is only where they are today because of, you know, uh, must slavery? <laughs> yeah, slavery uh, actually didn't really make us an awful lot of money. It cost us a lot of money and Britain was the first and only nation to go out of its way to ban slavery, not just in our own nation, but we fought wars and blockaded ships going over to Africa to ensure that other people would not be enslaved. We banned slavery and it wasn't we, the British, that actually started it. It was the Jews. 75% of the slave owners in America on these plantations were Jewish owners. The slave markets were owned by Jews. The ships that transported them from Africa over to the Americas were Jewish owned ships. And the only people that freed them from slavery were white people. And the white people of Britain, the taxpayers, have been paying for their freedom up until 2015. And how dare they? Black people and Asian people have the audacity to, to try and make us feel guilty about slavery when it's something that they will still willingly practice themselves today if they can get away with it. I mean, the Muslims have been enslaving people as part of their religious practices for thousands of years and still do so today, including enslaving Africans, often inviting them over as maids and then hiding their passports and not paying them. That's quite common. We've seen slave markets when ISIS took over in Syria, and yet they will still have Muslims in this country having the audacity to say about white people and slavery. I'm like, how dare you? Yeah, uh, that, that's my response. And when it comes to our prosperity, I'm sorry, England did not become prosperous <laughs> of, course, of, blacks, of blacks and ethnic minorities. <laughs> we became prosperous because we created the greatest empire in the world, which wasn't based on slavery. It was based on trade. We also started the Industrial Revolution. And many of the greatest inventions of our times have been invented by people that have come from the British Isles. It is our inventive genius and our exploration and discovery that has led us to the prosperous position that we're in. And if anything, we have donated trillions, even when we colonized their lands. We went to uh, like Africa, they were still living in the Stone Age. It cost us more to colonize Africa than we made from Africa, building all that infrastructure for them. You know, their life expectancies went up. Their standard of living went up exponentially under white rule. And then as soon as they kicked the white people out, they went back to being primitive again and blame it on us. Well, no, I'm sorry. They wouldn't even be alive today if it wasn't for our modern technologies and modern medicines. And yet they have this sense of entitlement, what, to our achievements. <sighs> it, yeah, it's it's so aggravating. It's like it's like some of these people are so dumb. They just can't you can't even <laughs> you can't even reason and lay out these facts and they don't get they just uh, uh. Yeah, but oh. then you guys are so horrible, but then everyone wants to come live in England, right? Like how many people can fit in the UK now? It's just like coming and coming and coming. It's just nonstop. Well, one thing I see, I mean, that that we don't like about England is obviously the queen, the monarchy, right? Queen Elizabeth II, she's the first monarch to be celebrating this platinum jubilee right after 70 years on the throne this lizard queen just will not die a nod to a david ike there <laughs> so tell us about these celebrations and what's going on because under under her reign and i know you were talking about this on your telegram like nothing good has come um, english people in london went from 90 percent to 40 percent during her time right what has she done for the people and why are people still even celebrating the queen and the the royal family I think a lot of people uh, just do it out of a social expectation. It's ingrained into them. Oh, you must like the Queen. You must like the Royal Family. You must love the NHS. You know, these are standard things that you must like in our society. But I, I honestly think, like, what, what has the Queen actually done in these 70 years that she's been on the throne? I look at the last 70 years in England as a steady decline that's now rapidly catching up pace and to a what I see is like heading towards a third world destruction. We'll be like South Africa by the end of the century. There won't be any white people and the ones that still exist will all be living in some form of abject poverty in, in the shells of what used to exist because the primitives will just destroy it and allow it to crumble around us. The queen as well, she's supposed to be like the head of the Church of England. And have you seen this now? We've got we've got lesbian priests saying we should take the crosses down because they're offensive to Muslims. Yeah. You know, yeah. and I'm just like, oh, and during Easter we had trans flags. 
and we've got a Jew who's the head of the Church of England. And it's what? like, oh, it, well, yes. the church is useless. We know this. <laughs> I'm yes. like, so as the head of the Church of England and as monarch, you have actually done a terrible job. You have presided over the invasion, occupation of our nation and the genocide of its indigenous peoples. You continue to ignore that and even celebrate it. I mean, how many people were celebrating her from her new black and ethnic minority communities? They weren't out, were they, at a jubilee? That was a sea of white faces. Yeah, I was looking, was it the longest ever picnic attempt? There was some footage of that, and I was like, oh, it looks awfully, awfully white there. I, I don't know how long, however long this was, however many picnic tables or whatever. But, yeah, I don't see many uh, muzzies out there or really anybody else. <laughs> Like no, but I'm surprised these people still care about her because what are the, what are they what is she doing for these white working class folks like nothing? Yeah, I also happened to see on Telegram there was one uh, jubilee event that was uh, ruined by diversity. <laughs> Some little oh, town. I, I'd seen a uh, I'd seen a I think it was a Facebook post about it, but I, I haven't actually seen any footage of what took place. I would like to. Oh, geez. I don't doubt it. And then apparently there were some shows that were going on, like some routine, you know, like dance routines and performances and stuff at the Buckingham Palace. And there was even a, a nod to BLM. There was some, yeah, some B, like they were doing this, I don't know, George Floyd type of act or something. Like, what does that have to do with, with anything? I haven't seen this previously. Oh, it's him. Oh, it's him. Uh, what's his name? He's the one who looks a bit like an alien when he takes his hat off. Hmm. Banjo String. Okay. Sorry, that's not his real name, but that's what I call him. It's all this Black Lives Matter crap that was involved in these uh, Jubilee performances and stuff. And they're acting like George Floyd happened in England. <laughs> Oh, yeah, no, we'll ignore all the white girls being raped, you know, and tortured, some of them even murdered and put in kebabs. We won't we won't talk about that. But the career criminal junkie that died of an overdose in America whilst committing yet another offense. Yeah. You know, let, let's let's keep going on about him. It's like Stephen Lawrence. You'll never hear the end of it. But you won't hear about the white people. Nope, never. Yes. Never. Now, what are your thoughts, uh, speaking of the royals, on uh, Prince Charles taking over? I don't know if you saw his video also from the World Economic Forum where he was talking about the Great Reset. So what do you think it's going to be like when he when he takes over? What are his plans? Uh, I think the Queen has tried to play this whole plausible deniability. I don't really have that much power. I'm a dithery old lady. But Charles is much more open and avert about his um, participation in this globalist agenda. And I don't think that he's even overly bright. Uh, and I, What bothers me about Charles is his connections, very strong connections to the House of Saud um, and some very dodgy connections that he has there. And also the fact that he has said that when he becomes king, he doesn't want to be a defender of the Anglican faith. He wants to be a defender of all faiths. Uh, so, I mean, I don't think that these royals seem to understand that when we become a minority, nobody's going to care about the lineage of the royal family. In fact, they're going to see it as a form of white oppression and also want them dead. But yeah. I don't think that's registered with them just yet. Well, we can hope that they turn on them. <laughs> we can hope that they're, so. you know, out of the way, these uh, use, useless people. Yeah, I know. It's like they're just, they live in their ivory tower. They have no idea, right? No idea what's going on. Yeah. Well, I have to get into how I first saw you because you first caught my eye. I saw a video of you at this BAME Ed conference. Uh, what is it? Black, Asian, minority ethnic educators i know it's a mouthful so basically everyone but europeans like you were saying how you know prince prince charles white people prince charles is going to be uh for all faiths right which is uh, it always means everyone but white people right that's always always what it is but i wanted to play just a little quick snippet of that video so people can remember who you are i think we we played this on uh flashback friday and you were at a baymed conference and you were talking Talking to some uh, non-white individual, uh, I don't know if they were an educator or a bystander or something, but we could just listen to just a couple minutes and then we'll comment on that. Is causing white children to disengage with the curriculum and is harming not only their mental health but their life chances by harming their educational prospects. So, seems as if all other races are allowed to represent themselves and the 
issues that their races have, I think that it's important, seems if our particular racial group happens to be the lowest group going on into university, has the lowest attainment, and this has been proven by the government who released the report, the Forgotten, this year about the white working class. So just like any other race, we are sticking up for our children and ensuring that they are included, that their mental health is considered. But why don't you make an event instead of coming here and putting your Because we, as white people, aren't allowed to talk about these issues. We're not allowed to story. We're not allowed to talk about race talk and about the impact that these... About class, right? No, we talk about race. We talk about how this is impacting white children. It's not about class. Because some of these white children are more economically disadvantaged than their black and ethnic minority peers. How can you say that a black boy who comes from a socioeconomically advantaged background is more or is less privileged than a white boy who's on free school meals? It's a proven... of privileges as well. No, there's no such thing as white privilege. There is so, such thing as socioeconomic privilege. But as a white student, as a white student, and like other white students, many of us are disengaged from the curriculum. When they talk about psychological harm, do they talk about the million white school children that have been raped in religiously and racially motivated offences okay. by Muslim Pakistani okay, gangs? Okay, what about our schools that ignore that? What about us? Okay, okay, that's too much that's too much truth. You just said rape and you know, no no white kids get raped in the UK. It just never happens. This is some right uh white supremacist conspiracy theory. So how did you think that conversation went? It's kind of the same. You expect it all every time. Same way. It's pretty typical. Um most of the time to be honest, once people hear me start talking, they just avoid me like the plague. Um nobody wants to engage me. Uh, if anything, what starts to happen is people start to screech. Some of the more primitive species occasionally have ended up in street debates with them. And I'm sorry. <laughs> and I have them uh, in circle. At that point, you've got to start being careful because they are a bit prone to stabbing. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You said yeah. something um, interesting. You to events like the EMEAD, uh, yeah. they're, they're just not used to being challenged. That's they go just into it. Schools yeah. and. They, they talk to other educators and they bully white teachers into going along with their... They have no agenda. idea how to respond other than, okay, racist. You know, okay, that, that's racist. how weak it is. And they'll, they'll say, these are not facts. And you can present them with facts. You can present them with the facts. And they will they will still choose to ignore it. It's that's like right. you say, uh, there's been up to a million white British school children that have been raped in religiously and ra- racially motivated offences. And it's it's been in the mainstream news. It's pretty widespread knowledge. And yet lefties will still try to deny the fact, no, it's not happening. It's it's not happening. Stop being a racist. Now, you said something else in there, too. Even though whites are a majority in the UK still, they're not in the universities, right? I mean, so what's going on there? Are they just not wanting to go to school or what's happening? I, I don't know whether it's that they are uh, a minority in universities as a whole. I know the white working class, so the socioeconomic demographics, um, there is a massive disparity. White working class kids are not going on into university. The middle class tend to because it's socially expected of them to go and do their A-levels, then go off to uni, probably do a gap year. And it's great for the Marxists. They get to brainwash them and put them into loads of debt. And by the time they realise what's happened, you know, they're in their mid-20s trying to search for a decent job with compressed wages and extortionate rents and realise that, oh, well, shit, we've been lied to and all these immigrants have kind of made our country a bit of a shithole and they can't (laughs) afford anything now. Um, but, you know, it's usually like their mid to late 20s that many people come out of that Marxist fog that they've been put into. And some yeah. of them stay like that forever, unfortunately. It's like but, uh, it's like you're a lot of young white guys, like working class guys. And they're they not even know. being they're not even being accepted in college. Right. And they don't have the money. I'm like, well, maybe that's a good thing. Right. You're it's not racking up all that debt and all that uh, brainwashing. It's a good thing. I, I, I would advise um, young white men to not go to university unless they want to be doctors, lawyers. Yeah. If they're going to be working in a STEM subject, fine. But don't just go to university to do a crap degree. If you're No going women's studies? Come on. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that they're much <laughs> better off um, if they want independence as well from employers, because employers these days get to dictate what you can well, what you can write on your social media, or even what vaccines you need to take as a you know prerequisite for employment these days. So people, especially nationalists, that understand that employment is being used as a means to entrap people into being very quiet and compliant, um, would wish to be self-employed. And I think 
that for our men going off and learning a trade, being a plumber, being an electrician, learning to build, these things are going to be much more useful to you and you'll probably earn more long term than what your friends will that bugger off to university and end up in debt and take up some crap recruitment job or something because they can't find a job in a field of sociology or exactly exactly management yeah i think the stats are right now in england too that 33 percent of all students identify as bame right so white british kids are they say are slated to become a minority in in state schools by 2037 i love how they always have this number like we should celebrate by 2037 white kids are going to be a minority in school yay you know so are you are are kids getting hit with a lot of the equivalent of the uh, crt critical race theory garbage white kids in america are getting you guys are getting your version of it in england i'm sure right like are are they learning colonialism slavery like all the bad stuff (laughs) So, yeah, they, they want to teach um, anti-racism, anti-racism in the schools, which is actually just anti-whiteism. Mostly it focuses around, you know, promoting positive racial identity in black children, inaccurately disseminating our histories to stir up racial animosity towards us, and then a targeted campaign against the white pupils to install feelings of guilt, shame and low self-worth, and then apply the lack of opportunities available to them and you have a lot of children that are growing up feeling like they are worthless and must pander to minorities to get anywhere in life and be successful yep same old crap now the flood of migrants just seems to just keep coming in i don't know how many the uk can take in america they're like talking about oh well we can have like billions of people there you know just open up the gates just let them come in uh it seems like there's just no end in sight now i want to know when was your equivalent of the heart seller act i mean we can look at american history and know you know what key years and acts opened up to it's a bit of American uh, immigration legislation, isn't it? I mean, mm-hmm. with us, really, it all started with the Refugee Convention, and then we've had Race Relations Acts, we've had Equality Acts, these Immigration Acts. There has been a progressive um, bombardment over time of legislation that basically has started to write in foreigners, basically as, as indigenous populations or as citizens just by nature of being here and also diminishing our rights to be able to protest in any manner against it, you know, without being called a racist and being convicted of hate crimes for saying, well, this African that's just arrived on a dinghy isn't actually English, just because you say he is. Um, So, yeah, that's kind of uh, the position where we find ourselves is progressive legislation uh, and I think the worst one has been the UN Migration Pact. I think you guys are signed into that, but I think that it's certainly got much worse ever since that particular piece uh, of, well, I wouldn't call it legislation, but since this agreement has been made, because now we have agreed to make safe passage for these people. So our government is even chartering flights to third world countries to ferry these people in because we can't have them drowning in the channel now, can we? So we now have a responsibility to import anybody that wants to come into our country and says, I'm being oppressed and persecuted in my own homeland, which we know is nonsense. We've got millions of Pakistani Muslims in our country, Pakistani Muslims. Muslims are not being persecuted in Pakistan. And many of these Africans will claim to be gay. I can't be sent back because I'll be persecuted for being gay. <laughs> yeah, right. They've got citizenship. They're off going back home on holiday. They know what to say. I mean, they're hustlers. They're good at hustling. And and a lot of these white people are just dumb suckers and they just believe it. Yeah, I was looking at this article just a couple days ago. So there's this little town that's trying to fight, uh, basically saying we were never asked. They're trying to put in this uh, asylum center, which in this tiny town will transform it because how many are going to come there? I mean, we've seen that in England. We've seen that in uh, Germany where towns of like 1,500 people get 800, you know, refugees overnight so this is still ongoing and we're just not hearing about it as much right um yeah it's still ongoing i know of many activist groups that have been going there and recording and attending i believe that they have been attempting to not have the migrants move there and originally there was a sort of agreement that said oh we're not going to move them there but they'll they'll just do it overnight before they, you know, the, the residents, the indigenous residents will just wake up one morning and there'll be lots and lots of foreigners inside the hotels and being put in houses. They're not going to get a decision. This is why this whole ridiculous idea of, 
I'm going to run off to the countryside and everything's going to be all hunky-dory there. I mean, how long do people think that that is going to last, especially in a country the size of Great Britain? And at the moment, while they're always trying to say that everything's too white, countryside i was just gonna gonna say so run run off to the countryside but exactly there's these studies that are being done by your government even i I had pulled one up here about like rural england and what needs to be done to get more non-white people to go enjoy the uh, natural landscapes of the uk i mean it's just such a a joke so you don't think that that's an an option for people to go to the countryside maybe have a little farm and try and set up an enclave why do you think that would not be uh, a long-term scenario so i understand why individuals would go off to the countryside if you live in one of these highly diverse areas you notice that it becomes crime-ridden it's not very nice it's not very clean it's not very safe everything becomes run down you definitely don't want to be raising kids in those environments so i understand why individuals move But it's not a strategy um, that's going to win against the anti-white agenda because people will just have people moved in and everything will be considered too white. And giving up our major cities and towns and wealth and inventions to go and live off the grid in the countryside and trying to be self-sufficient. I mean, how did that work out for white farmers in South Africa? I mean, when you're isolated and people can just go up and murder you. I mean, in the United Kingdom, we don't have a right to bear arms, but the foreigners seem to have an awful lot of weapons because a lot of them are criminals. So you're pretty much like sitting ducks. And I know that cities aren't much better, but I think for people who think running off to the countryside to avoid diversity and multiculturalism are only buying themselves a couple of decades and they're going to be handing over this problem to their children. I think the plus though in in England is at least you're surrounded by lots of other European countries whereas down in uh, you know South Africa, Zimbabwe, I've been in those areas, the the demographics is like what there's like a billion Africans right so eventually they're gonna move move on down so at least you still have a majority of white people in Europe, I would say it's better than nothing. I mean, there's gonna not everyone can live in the countryside, obviously, but if they can, I think that that's a that's a really good thing to do, especially nowadays with the the Great Reset and all these things happening. But I saw UK is also getting attacked because the farmers are too white, as well. Yeah, there, there's a concentrated effort to stop hereditary passing over of farms because farms usually um, tend to remain in family hands. And uh, they've said that it's too white. I believe there's actually going to be a TV show where they're going to teach black and ethnic minorities how to farm. I'm sure that's going to go well. I mean, in every black country where they've killed the white farmers, they've rapidly gone into famine because they don't seem to be able to master agricultural civilization. Oh, my gosh. It's just, yeah, every time I see these too white, it's too white. I just think of America. There isn't anything about us, uh, white Americans, that hasn't been attacked for being too white. (laughs) I mean, literally everything even uh, the way we're how the way we housewife the way we cut our hair the way we uh, play outside like it's just endless knitting ballet like i've gone over these in my videos many times now are you guys getting that same level too because i think the uk and america is a lot of is a lot of like that way like the types of uh, propaganda that we're getting uh, blasted at us and the type of anti-white propaganda would you say there's a similarity and and are you getting hit with a wide array of things that are too white that are being attacked yeah everything's too white even our home secretary who isn't actually even british she's an indian woman pretty patel said that the home office is too white and you should see the staff of the home office it is certainly not too white but imagine being a foreigner and going into somebody else's country and saying like if i went to new nigeria oh there's too many blacks in there in their government we need less black faces i mean that's what pretty patel said there's too many white faces in the home office so she has a problem with white people being in a majority in the highest office in the land that deals with immigration and crime two of the biggest you know issues facing the white indigenous community but she doesn't want us to have a say in that office because she's an indian and all these foreigners pretty much are working against us whilst claiming our identity oh we're just as british as you But you're white, so you deserve to be punished for your colonialism and slavery. But we're all the same. 
But we live in a system of white supremacy, but you can't celebrate colonialism. It, like, doesn't make any sense. And I know, like, there's groups that the government is trying to shut down. So I wanted to talk about that. Is a banking censorship happening? What kind of uh, political censorship is happening? We know our friends over at Patriotic Alternative, the attacks that they've been dealing with and crazy just write-ups and stuff. Uh, I think that you, was it you that also got a, a police visit? I know other people get visits for memes they post online, similar to America. So how bad? is it as far as uh, the government targeting nationalists and dissidents oh, it, it's it's getting very bad i mean they've now written um anti-terror legislation which is really now not anti-terror legislation it's just a means to be able to persecute any form of real political opposition people are being jailed for owning books people are being entrapped on platforms like telegram where people create chats and then they post documents in there and if anybody clicks on that document then is found to have it on their phone even if they weren't aware that they downloaded it will then end up facing years and years in prison i believe that they're now doing this for songs i mean um the political persecution is pretty intensive here i mean i've i've not had any intensive political persecution for the last few years but um previously i've been you know pretty badly persecuted I've been, well, falsely imprisoned and stripped and beaten by our police forces, accused what? of being crazy. Yeah, I could go into it at some point in one of these videos. But yeah, about two and a half years of once every six weeks being randomly kidnapped by the police, apparently for my own protection. And then they would strip me, beat me and then release me about 24 hours later with no explanation, telling me that they didn't have to tell me why they were concerned. So I wasn't suspected of a crime or anything like that. And then after about the sixth time of that, apparently... Uh, some of the words that I used in response to them beating and stripping me on that occasion offended them. So they tried to bring charges against me of uh, offending people with my words. And then, yeah. Uh, wait, wait, wait a how, did, how did they the first encounter you? Was it because you were out uh, protesting or, or uh, how did no, you first I encounter was, the police? The problem they had with me was I was a director of the uh, UK Independence Party. And at the time was um, engaging with the police who were investigating the crime of me being basically trafficked from the ages of 13 to 16 by a Muslim paedophile rapist gang. And as I wanted these crimes logged as a religiously and racially motivated crime, and also wanted the complicity of our government to be investigated um, in these crimes, they decided to target me because obviously having somebody who is a director of a political party that's just brought about a referendum that's accusing the government of genocide is problematic for them. So they went out of their way to try and discredit me by trying to make me look either criminal or crazy by constantly attacking me. So are um, you so, saying though that you actually were abused to, for a few years in your life, abused by like basically grooming gangs? Is this what has happened? Yeah, so between the ages of 13 and 16, I was a victim of one of these Muslim paedophile rapist gangs. When I said my life has been reasonably eventful, that's oh, one of geez. the uh, events. Yeah, because you I grew up in a very diverse area, right? Yeah. Like, and where you live now as well. Yeah, I live, I live in a very diverse area now. Um, unfortunately, you know, it's where my family had lived since the like the Industrial Revolution, and now it's it's occupied by foreign peoples, but. I have um, elderly family members here, and when they pass away, I'll probably make a move. Or if I became pregnant, obviously, I'd have to go. Because I, I don't really fear, I, I don't have normal fear, like, especially for myself. So my own personal safety is not something that tends to pop into my head very often. But I'd be very protective um, of children, because it's not past these primitives and lefties to attack your kids. So then I would have to move because my, you know, I can't have their safety compromised. But until then, I don't think I'll be moving out of these diverse areas. Wow, Kate, that's heavy. That's that's big, important stuff. We should be <laughs> should be talking about this now. When you were a teenager, did you tell anyone? Did you tell uh, family or your parents or go to the police or or you just didn't, didn't tell anyone? Um, a lot of my friends knew, and I think that they tried something similar um, with a number of girls that I was friends with at that time. I spoke about it a few years afterwards with my parents, and my mother didn't really want me doing anything about it. And to be honest, I still had what you could call a normal emotional range at that time, so I could feel shame and depression and these things. So I didn't really want to talk about it. I didn't really want to pursue any action. And, you know, some of the actions that I undertake to free myself were 
ones that I yeah let's just leave that um probably ones that I just didn't want investigating at that point in time but yeah um it was when I found out about the scale uh of what was going on I mean I'd met other girls whilst I was being trafficked who were also trafficked but when the story of Rotherham broke that's when I started to feel a deep sense of guilt because I realized like my fear and shame and lack of willingness to admit what had happened to myself um, had allowed these monsters to continue being out on the streets. And I felt like if other girls had been abused after me, it would be kind of my fault for not trying to get these pedophiles off the streets when I did. So I got consumed with guilt for quite a while. And then when I did pursue action with the police, um, they, 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 basically didn't investigate it properly, uh, embarked on some forms of persecution. And then actually the main investigator said that she feels that it should have gone to court, but the Crown Prosecution Service decided that there was insufficient evidence and that they wouldn't even take these pedophiles to court. So at this point, I'm thinking about appealing it, but I'm waiting for a new piece of legislation to come through where you can personally um, pursue legal action against individual officers and individual crown prosecutors should they not fulfill their duties. So I'm waiting for that and then I'm going to start reseeking this justice against the people um, that I feel that should be put away. But- oh, ab- absolutely. No, it's a great injustice has been been done. We watched how this the Rotherham uh, scandal unfolded and how they were scurrying around to cover it up and silence people. And it's it's disgusting. And then I saw this video recently. Apparently now it's OK to groom and rape girls under 14. As long as you say that you're sorry, basically like, oh, it's a cultural misunderstanding. They don't know any better. It's, it's different in their culture. We have to teach them and show them. We'll uh, queue up that little clip and and play that. We now learn that the inert British police uh, have a new tool, so-called community resolution. All you have to do is admit you did it and say you're sorry. That's it. According to the Daily Mirror, 870 sex offenders have been the beneficiaries of community resolution. They said they were sorry about the rape and the police said, thanks, mate. That's all we need. The sorry card applies not only to rape of grown-ups, but to child rape. Durham, Cheshire and Nottinghamshire constabularies use community resolution for the rapes of girls under 13. Norfolk did likewise for the rape of a young boy. The biggest use of community resolution, 78 cases, was by South Yorkshire police. That's right, the fellows who turned a blind eye to Rotherham's so-called grooming gangs, decade in, decade out. Uh, and you know, the, the, by the way, uh, South Yorkshire police have actually uh, said to us that none of uh, these community resolutions under their aegis was for rape, but they've declined to answer what they actually were for. We tried to get an answer. We're going to keep trying to get an answer out of them on that. You know, the best part, though, about admitting to raping a 12-year-old girl or a 7-year-old boy under this system? You don't get a criminal record. Hallelujah! <laughs> Pop the champagne! Break it out really the cake! run by oh, pedophiles, no, sorry. isn't it? Wait, that one the coppers take seriously. Let me know what you think, GBviews at GBnews.uk, or you can Twitter me at GB. Anyway, this is, this is just outrageous. Like, this stuff didn't happen in our countries before mass immigration, this influx of Muslims, which has coincided with all these uh, sex abuse scandals and rapes and pedophilia it's just like it's rampant yeah we've had pedophile problems amongst our own people but now it's we're bringing it like a thousand times worse now i mean this is outrageous how is there not just public outrage to these things it's it's baffling i mean i i feel that things just go right over the public's head and they actually only ever get angry when they're directed to by the mainstream marxist media You can see this in their disparity in outrage. You know, there'll be one black girl who's strip searched in a school, a school that's renowned for stabbing and drugs. And yet, you know, that's an absolute outrage. But you can have girls raped on a mass scale for being white and it barely gets any coverage. And they report in such a way that it doesn't incite that outrage. People have sort of become accepting of it in a strange way. Um, And that's why they're not that outraged at the fact that, you know, I think there was, what was it? There was a a young boy that was raped and he didn't get any justice because the person said that they were sorry. They didn't even get a criminal record for it. I mean, 
our police have been basically paedophile protection squads for quite some time because yeah. I guarantee you, if you were the parent of a child that was abused by a paedophile who just said, I'm sorry, and you didn't think that that was justice, so you went and smashed their face in, you would go to prison for harming that paedophile. The police wouldn't let you say, oh, well, you know, I'm sorry. That wouldn't be an acceptable get-out-of-jail-free card. But apparently, if you're a nonce, selectively, they can choose as and when they're going to prosecute you. I think it's because our police are much more busy being uh, Marxist enforcement squad squads rather than actually enforcing the law these days. Absolutely. But if it was a white man who was accused of uh, raping, I don't know, some girl who was over 18, you know, it'd be, oh, he'd be me too and all this, all, it would be in the news, all this stuff. But it seems like they get a pass when it's the kids getting kids getting raped or when it's uh, non-whites doing the raping. It really is just disgusting and hard to see. And I remember when we were still on YouTube and we were talking about so many cases, right? We would bring up certain cases of uh, child rape or uh, talking about the many instances and we would get banned. We would be charged with the, the hate crime for just simply pointing out that someone is doing the raping. It's just outrageous to me. It's outrageous. Now, I think that really we're actually in the middle of a much harder battle than our ancestors. And I, I heard you say that as well, because we're dealing with a, a psych warfare. Like in the old days, in the Viking days, if someone raped your daughter, they would just go and uh, take their battle axe and deal with the situation, you know, whereas nowadays we can't we can't do that. Right. We live in this prison system and it, it's uh, high tech and we're getting a psychological warfare on all these levels and propaganda and all these laws and things. So what can you say about that? Uh, do you think that we're in a, in a harder battle to fight now than our ancestors? Um, certainly, yes, because we're being attacked in all ways. It's not just psychologically, it's spiritually, it's physically. And I think previously we've not had to deal with these same methodologies or the same sort of technologies. And the environment that we're fighting in, especially as nationalists, is very alien. Never before have we had our own kin actually turn against us for trying to support their futures, where you have white people scream at you Nazi and racist and want you banned from society for daring to say, we want a future for white people. We deserve an identity and a homeland. And, you know, we don't need to become a vulnerable, persecuted minority in our own home. And it's it's very strange to be around people that either don't realize what's going on or if they do get angry at you for trying to well secure a future for them and try and prevent some of the more awful things that happen to white people when they do become minorities to these primitives happening to their kids i mean we're not doing it for our own good any nationalist knows that you know they're taking a major risk you're not going to be able to have the same employment opportunities, you may be persecuted by social services, you may even have our anti-political opposition squads try plant a book in your house. You know, it, it's not fun being a nationalist. You do it out of moral duty, but uh, it is a war that's going to be more difficult to fight, but I do think we're capable of doing it. I think we need to become more aware of the dark psychological tactics of our enemy because we're quite an honorable race of people. You know, we fight on battlefields and we do it face to face, whereas the enemy sneaks around with smiles on their faces and knives hidden at their back, pretending to be weak whilst stabbing us every step of the way. They're very sneaky and underhand and deceptive. And that's not how our people tend to think. But I think it's highly important that we learn the tactics of our enemies. Not so much so that we can utilize them ourselves, which we might have to do if necessary, but mostly to counteract the effects of psychological warfare. That's a big part of what I'm hoping the White Indigenous Rights Alliance can do, ending, you know, ending some of this psychological warfare that causes so much self-hate and guilt and a feeling of, you know, a lack of community or a lack of belonging, a sense of lack of identity that so many are people are feeling this isolation within their own homeland because it doesn't feel like home anymore. Whereas there are so many of us white people still left in our countries. It's just we're all so fragmented and broken and people aren't loyal. And unfortunately, our peoples have an addiction to comfort. Yeah. They have an addiction to going home and watching their screens and eating crap food and that bread and circuses, as long as they're comfortable, they don't want to know. And I think the hardest part is knowing 
what that future is going to be like. You look at the rainbow nation of South Africa and the horrors that have taken place there. We see us going down exactly the same path. And I think that psychological warfare is so much more difficult to engage with, especially when we don't have the resources of our enemy, the Jews that control our mainstream media, or our entertainment, what comes out of Hollywood. And I think to overcome that, it's going to take people with a sense of fortitude and an understanding of how our enemy operates. Yep, the biggest battle for sure with our people is is right here. It's it's in the mind, right? And that's awesome. why that's why they're resorting to the system is resorting to crazy levels of censorship and blacklisting and you know shutting people's bank accounts down because they know they know media is important and media is important to break the spell and media is important to keep the spell going like they're, like they're doing in so many different ways. But they're becoming so brazen that there are so many people that are. It's it's just so bold and so blatant that there's a lot of people that are waking up, so they always take that risk. I think that there's always going to be a lot of uh, people that fall prey to the bread and circuses, and they just um, follow whatever trend. But I think that there's a lot of capable, bright, smart pe- white people out there who also see what's going on and are kind of uh, positioning themselves in a different way, trying to kind of isolate from the system. Uh, they're doing different things like becoming self-sufficient with, with food is important because you were talking about our, our bodies getting hit. It's right. We're, we're getting hit on every single level now like we've never seen before the the toxins and the bad foods and all the the poisons and then the mind poisons and it's just it's it's a whole other level so it takes a lot of work to even just to stay healthy in this day and age but families families are the keys right key how, how you raise your kids and you have to inoculate them from this garbage and if we if enough of us do that I think that we can take back a lot of our countries. So what do you think about strategies? I know this is huge and usually this is a, a, a guy area, but uh, and we don't always want to reveal all our little uh, tricks and things. But strategies, what do you think for nationalists moving forward to secure, you know, healthy, happy, white, indigenous people in the UK, for instance, because I think solutions will probably be different in different countries. Yeah, uh, I, I think that, as I said, we're being attacked on every level in every direction. And I think it's going to require a multiple operational or multiple organizational strategy because I see people talking about how they would create political parties or a community group or how they want to go down the religious route or creating small, you know, enclaves, small villages that are just going to be purely white. And I think that we need to incorporate different areas and different strategies and try and find the weak spots in that armor. I think it's time that we've reclaimed all areas of um, our white whiteness and white countries. And I think doing so, we need to have our own religions. We need to have our own parallel parliaments. I don't necessarily agree with standing in elections, but I do think that a multiple operational strategy will be necessary for us to be successful. Um, That's why I'm creating a community interest company. Once the community interest company is stable and in good hands, I will be creating a political party, hopefully with a fully built manifesto. And I'd like to create a parallel parliament. Because as you say, many people are waking up and it's just that there isn't much opportunity for them to voice it. It's like that video that went viral of me speaking at the BME ad. The the majority of those who shared it and commented on it, over 99%, I would say, were highly positive and they were thankful that someone was finally speaking out for white people. And I do believe that this is is actually a, many of our opinions and many of our policies would be popular if we could actually get them oh, yeah. to the And as people seem to be waking up thanks to the insanity of COVID, monkeypox, the assault upon farms, the forced vaccinations, the importing of millions of hostile foreigners and the anti-white agenda, which, we, which is becoming even blatant to normies, Occasionally when I'm, uh, I'm in a band from Facebook, which I actually think was from sharing one of your videos. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it's okay. As long as some people saw it, because I don't think you'll be allowed on those mainstream platforms. And I don't mind getting banned and it's a good video. But um, I went on there and I noticed that all these sort of like normie people were complaining that all the adverts were full of Africans, <laughs> that their favorite historical figures and characters and fictional characters oh, are all yes. being replaced by Africans. Oh, yes. You know, you have a Roman documentary, it's half full of Africans. You have a... A, a historical documentary about King Henry and and, and every time now, yeah, you you'll have a black queen and it's just yes, <laughs> it, it's endless. And even normies, you know, people that used to be 
it used to have a blind eye to these things. Uh, they can't even deny it anymore. And I do think that we need to be prepared for when the pendulum swings the other way. It's all about preparation at this point in time. That's why I think community and trust companies are the best start because that will help to counter the psychological warfare, one by building better, stronger, more socially cohesive communities, but also preserving our history, heritage and culture, representing our rights, and of course, focusing on children and families. But the main part of it will be getting people to recognize, thus the name White Indigenous Rights Alliance, that they are their own unique racial group and that they are indigenous to these lands. These lands are theirs. This is their history. This is their their heritage. This is their children's futures. And it's about time that they started to reclaim it because they've even forgotten who they are. I mean, they'll, they'll, they'll have this claim that somebody can be just as British as us just by nature of being in our homeland. <laughs> and I, I believe that being British is a matter of lineage, not a matter of location. And it's about time that we change the outlook or the perception that many people have had due to the psychological warfare of identity politics. I, I do think that having creating organizations that truly identify with our white indigenous peoples and our heritage and see ourselves as a collective cohesive community is the starting point. And then from there, obviously, with our, our curriculums and as we get better with our, our legal um, skills, we'll start to be able to take down certain Marxist organizations. Oh, yeah, I think you're waking, waking people up is the is the big battle right now, getting out these truths and, and breaking the spell. And from there, I think all kinds of magic can happen. <laughs> when a bunch of European people put their minds together, when they wake up and when they get pissed off, when they realize what is being done against them, I think they're going to we're, we're going to awaken something um, ancient and old and, and strong and fierce. And I can't wait for that to happen. Kate, thank you. It's been so great having you here today. I've, I've enjoyed getting to know you and you're very well spoken. You're on top of things. I think it's great that you're out there and you're public and you're talking about these things. Uh, sorry that you're getting some of these hits, but, you know, someone's got to be the trailblazers, right? We're doing it for our future generations and for our children and our children's children and, and our folk and our people and it's the most important thing that you can do it's it's a noble life so tell people uh what else you ha might have going on and also where they can reach you find your stuff so um i'm not a great content creator but i do have a youtube channel if in fact if you're any on any social media and you type in bubba kate bubba kate paris it will if i've got an account on there it would usually bring me up just be careful, though. There are a few fake Bubba Kates out there. Um, <laughs> really? I do have a Telegram channel. Yeah, people stole my photos. They put them on all sorts of things. Weirdos. Um, yeah. Yeah. I've had people try and contact people on Telegram asking for money, pretending to be me. And I've always <laughs> said to people, get them to leave a voice note because they won't be able to imitate my voice very well. Um, so, yeah, just, just be aware of that. But, yes, I do have a Bubba Kate versus the State channel. I believe this is one of yours, the anti-racist Hitler um, they've not taken No, that's not ours. That's Tim Murdoch, White Rabbit. Oh. Yeah. Yes. Friend. Um, but yeah. Um, uh, they haven't taken that down, which I was quite surprised about. I thought... Well, they uh, will I now because you said... <laughs> uh, current projects, apart from the White Indigenous Rights Alliance, I am currently suing my university or former university for their discrimination against white students. I have a second uh, hearing in the courts on the 30th of June. It seems to be going quite well so far. Um uh, and I'm learning a lot of skills that are going to be useful along the way. So they are my primary uh, projects that are kind of, you know, these ones are for the, the white race, whereas I do have a number of personal justice projects underway at this point in time as well, but I prefer not to go into them. But the main projects, main two projects, White Indigenous Rights Alliance and suing the University for Discrimination Against White Students, it's actually got nine claims. And within those claims, one of them is that... Uh, teaching critical race theory or teaching of whiteness and the characteristics of the white race in a derogatory and negative manner consistently creates a hostile, negative and degrading atmosphere for white students, uh, which yeah. would be contrary to the Equality Act. So if that's upheld, it would get critical race theory banned throughout our education system. And I hope that um, the, the claim that I've put forward about Black Lives Matter, that I've been discriminated against because of my opinion that Black Lives Matter is a terrorist organization, and this is a factual belief upheld by many in our society, um, because they do actually qualify for all of the um, 
characteristics that are in, laid out in the Terrorism Act of what would constitute a terrorist organization. I mean, they have used violence, including murder and arson and a mass assault upon white people to further their political aims. But yet I got the police sent to my house to ask me why I don't like Black Lives Matter. Are you serious? I, I, I was objecting to the fact they had a statement of support for this violent Marxist Afrocentric organization. So wait, 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 wait. They knock on the door and they're like, uh, Kate, uh, tell us your views on BLM. We got a complaint. Or like, how, how do they even come at you? Okay, so I heard the knock on the door and I thought it was like a, a delivery. So I've opened it and I was still in pajamas. And um, there's just five officers there. To, like Five? Three in uniform. <laughs> oh there's five male officers. There's three in uniform, two in plain clothes. And I said, what are you doing here? And they turned around and to me and said, we're here on behalf of your university to ask for you why you don't like Black Lives Matter. <laughs> and at this point, I was, I was just really angry. So I said, do you have a warrant? And they said, no. And I said, do you, are you aware that you're not just intimidating a student on behalf of the university? You are actually um, intimidating a claimant on behalf of a defendant in the midst of a civil case. And they promptly left after that because I think they realized that they were being utilized by my university to try and intimidate me for attempting oh to speak. So they haven't been back since, but I've, I've been, I've found, since found out wow. that it was um, prevent and the anti-terrorism police locally. I've had a few referrals to them, but although they think my opinions are extreme at this point in time, they don't, don't believe that my opinions are going to lead to any criminal activity. So they're, they're not continuing with coming to harass me at this stage, but as the persecution goes on and they don't like people organizing things or speaking about things, I should imagine they will, they will rear that ugly head again. Can you imagine being that pathetic cop that's like knocking on the door, like harassing this young woman for not supporting this uh, terrorist organization? It's just am it's a it's amazing to me how, how we're even the, here. In the area that I lived in and uh, the violent crimes that take place that the police don't attend, stabbings, shootings. You know, but they come to your door to ask you why you don't love these people. Right. You can't get the police out for any of that that nonsense. You say, oh, I've been robbed. Somebody stole my mobile phone. You might not see a police officer for, officer for two weeks. But if you say that Black Lives Matter is a terrorist organization, they suddenly have five male officers available to come knock at your door at eight o'clock in the morning. It, <laughs> That's yeah. Well, okay, we'll have to have you back again sometime and definitely maybe like some roundtable panels or something. That would That would be a lot of fun. So I appreciate your time today. Thank you so much. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. We're living in incredible times, incredibly insane times, but this surely will not last because times always change and everything cycles around. If you enjoy what we do, sign up for a membership at redicemembers.com. You can also go to subscribestar.com forward slash redice, or you can donate by going to redice.tv slash donate. Thanks to our executive producers, T. Lothrop Stoddard, Tom Bourne, V. Miller, and Locust Lad. We appreciate all of your support, and we love you guys and gals. We'll see you on the next one.